0: Hey guys, I'm Lead Pastor Noel Peepgrass, and I just wanted to welcome you to the Exeter Valley Church Podcast. Our church plant started in 2021 with the goal of seeing God's kingdom extended in our hometown. If you're curious about Jesus, looking for a church family to be a part of, or feel called to join a kingdom expansion in Exeter, California, we'd love to have you join us on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. in our historic building at 218 West Pine Street. For more information, head on over to www.exetervalleychurch.com or visit our Instagram page. Thanks for listening. Um, you know, I'm not unaware of the fact that uh, every Sunday morning we, we come into this space uh, from different places. Not like geographical places, but places of the heart. Different places of the heart. You know, some of us, when we walk in here on a Sunday morning, are glad. Some of us are sad, and others are mad or even afraid. We come into this place on Sunday mornings in different places of the heart, and and with that in view, I, I wanted to start this morning by asking you a question. Uh, one for introspection. You don't have to answer out loud, but it's it's a question that I believe gets us on the right tracks for where today's passage is going to take us. So here's a question. Have you ever felt like you were just too far gone? (laughs) You don't have to answer out loud, (laughs) but I like it. This is a good start. Actually, you do, let's go, come on, talk to me. Talk to me, let's go. Have you ever felt unreachable? Have you ever felt unavailable, unforgivable, unmerited, unlovable? or just playing, unable to understand or, or fully commit to the way of Jesus. And, and maybe you're not the one who's too far gone, at least not at the moment, but maybe there's a loved one that comes to your heart, someone that the Lord is even now bringing to mind, someone who's known at least the taste of the ways of God, who's known a taste of the love of their father in heaven, but is either on the fence Struggling or strain It was a number of years ago, I think close to 13 or not quite 15 uh, We were uh, praying uh, We were at radiant church and we were praying. Uh, we had a prayer meeting and uh, I, I um, in prayer just like my brother um, came to my heart and uh, my brother um, uh, Was uh, came to know the Lord before I did, actually, the reason I prayed the prayer with my parents was because my brother had prayed the prayer, so I followed in his footsteps of faith. In that way, my brother loved Jesus. He was uh, there was that song DC Talk sang the remake of Jesus Freak. We were in high school. When I was in high school, my brother was a Jesus freak in high school. He was sold out for Jesus. He was uh, so sold out for Jesus. He had like a cross under the hat. That he wore to school. Yeah, my my brother uh, loved the Lord, and, and uh, <clears throat> went away, and uh, and then experienced some hurt at the hands of the church. Started to question and doubt. Then uh, got married, and uh, his first marriage ended in, in just a few years in divorce. And at this time that I was praying for him, my brother had had remarried, but I think was still struggling to pick up the pieces. And uh, I remember praying for him that day. And in prayer, uh, a friend, you guys know her. Her name's Katie Young. Her husband, Mike, has taught here, played music here once or twice. They go to Radiant Church, and Katie came up to me, and she just said, I feel like the Lord's put something on my heart that he wants to share with you. And, and she said, the Lord wants to say that it's not too late. It's not too late. You know, if you're here this morning and, and the place of your heart uh, can relate to the place that my heart was in that night. I just wanted to start by telling you it's not too late. I think that word was for me that night, but I think it's for us this morning as well. It's not too late. The story's not over. God who pursues doesn't wish that any would perish, and He's still working. Even when we can't feel Him, He's working. Even when we can't see it, He's working. He never stops. He never stops working. In today's passage, uh, Jesus is, is preaching what theologians call the Sermon on the Congregation, and uh, in this sermon, that He tells a little parable about a shepherd who leaves his flock to pursue a lost sheep. I wanted to start by uh, reading a parallel account, a similar story in the Gospel of Luke. I'm sure you'll recognize this as I start to read. This is uh, Luke 15. You can turn your Bibles if you'd like. We're going to test my uh, out loud reading skills here. Luke 15, chapter 1, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says rejoice with me I have found my lost coin in the same way I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents Jesus continued there was a man who had two sons the younger one said to his father father give me my share of the estate so he divided his property between them not long after that the younger son got together all he had but we had to celebrate and be glad because his brother of yours was dead. And he's alive again. He was lost. And now he's found. Tears are coming early this morning. We've been learning uh, about the church and how we relate uh, to one inside the church. And uh, here uh, in this passage, Jesus addresses our response to insiders people who've known, who've tasted God and started to stray. So here we are in in today's passage. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. His disciples have asked him the question that Andre brought to us just a few weeks ago. Who's the goat? Who's the greatest of all time? Who's the greatest in the kingdom? And he tells them the greatest is the least. You must become like a child if you want to be great. In God's kingdom then he starts teaching them how to relate to one another as little ones and little ones has become his phrase not for his children but for disciples for other believers it's not that we're insignificant to him it's quite the opposite actually we learn that he cares a lot about each believer no matter how insignificant we might think we are Jesus cares for the unstrategic the unimportant the least of these and we learn, so should we. Contrast that with the Greek culture that Jesus uh, was uh, living amongst. The Greeks had essentially ruled the world up until just about 30 years before Jesus was born. Uh, you, may, you may know that the Greeks loved greatness. They loved it. They had this, th- these pictures, of, you know, these idol statues of their gods. Uh, they, they did a lot of great things, which is why the world developed so much under their tutelage, but they worship the greatness so much so that they would, they would kill babies born with defects, wouldn't they? Because greatness was all that was valued. So Jesus comes into this culture and he says, if you want to be great, you need to become like a little child. Now, that sounds really sweet to us, doesn't it? I mean, we've read Jesus, we've read the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, And we've probably heard a passage like this before, just a few weeks ago. Greater those who are themselves the least, who take on the lowly posture of a child. But this was not an American child, not a Western child that Jesus was talking about. In that ancient Middle Eastern context, children were low. They were unimportant. They had no rights but to listen and to obey. And yet, Jesus says, if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven... You must become like a little child. <clears throat> so this is the contextual moment that we come into today. And I'm going to make three points to help explain what Matthew is trying to point us to in today's teaching. And then I'm going to give three points of application for us to take home with us. And hopefully I can do this in the next 30 minutes or less. <laughs> God help us. The first point is that cares for little ones. Our Father in heaven Cares for little ones. Yes, our our passage's focus is on the most vulnerable in a congregation. Verse 10 says, beware that you don't look down on any of these little ones. Again, these little ones are the the ones that are on the fence. They're the the ones straying from the flock, the half-hearted, the wandering, maybe even the prodigals. In many ways, these little ones represent in different ways the three bad soils from Matthew 13 in the parable of the sower. The seed of the gospel has been cast. They've received the seed. But either it hasn't taken or it has taken, and through distraction, it's been choked out. Good soil Christians, the fourth soil, good soil Christians have a hard time with the first three soils because uh, the first three soils possess conditions that we despise in ourselves. If you're a good soul Christian, you've been avoiding these distractions. You've been avoiding these temptations, these pitfalls. And maybe you've even judged and despised your brothers and sisters who've given in. And in this passage, Jesus' first ask is not to hate in others what we hate in ourselves. His call is to love the unlovable, to love that which we tend to despise. And we do, don't we, tend to despise. He cares. But if we're honest, we tend to despise, to look down upon. In, in uh, Matthew eighteen six through 9, the last time I preached, the message was, do not cause one of these little ones to stumble. In today's passage, 10 through 14, it, the message is, do not despise one of these little ones. We tend to despise that Jesus cares for his little ones, and he cares even for those who are struggling or straying. He doesn't just care for the ones that are getting it right. Jesus cares for the ones that are struggling or strain. In fact, he especially cares for the ones who are struggling or strain. What does the story go on to say? He'll leave the ninety-nine to go after the one. He doesn't just kind of care for the ones who's struggling or strain. He especially cares for those among us who are struggling or straining. He goes on in the second part of verse 10, 10b, for I tell you that in heaven, their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly father. Now, what does this talk about their angels? Some have used this verse to promote uh, the idea of guardian angels. That would be individually assigned to each one of us. Anyone kind of familiar with the idea of the guardian angel? And it's a, you know, it's a perfectly cute idea. It uh, reads well in an individualistic, humanistic, Western culture, but I don't think that it has uh, great scriptural support. Uh, But don't take it from me. Let me read a quote from someone with more expertise than myself. Uh, the uh, The interpretation given to this passage by some commentators, as if God assigned to each believer his own angel, does not rest on solid grounds. For the words of Christ do not mean that a single angel is continually occupied with this or the other person. And such an idea is inconsistent with the whole doctrine of scripture, which declares that the angels encamp around the godly and that not one angel only, but many have been commissioned to guard every one of the faithful. Away then with the fanciful notion of a good and evil angel and let us rest satisfied with holding that the care of the whole church is committed to angels to assist each member as his necessities shall require. So here's the take home. We aren't likely assigned just one guardian angel or even two. No, it's actually much better than that. All of heaven. All of heaven has been assigned to us. This is how much your heavenly father cares. All of heaven cares about you. All of heaven roots for your eternal security. All of heaven Intercedes before the Father on your behalf. You don't just have one guardian angel. You have all of heaven. So, our Father in heaven, he, he cares about the little ones. That was point one. He cares about the little ones. We tend to despise, but he cares. So, what does he do? What does this care cause him to do? The second point is that he pursues the lost. He pursues. Jesus uses a parable here to illustrate his point. It's one of the most famous parables. We sung a song about it already. You heard the chorus. He leaves the 99. We've got another song coming about this pursuit of God. <clears throat> and you got to remember with Jesus, you know, it's always uh, stories over stats, right? Right? Jesus knew the power of stories. He tells story after story. So here we go, verse 11. Your Bibles may not have it because this verse is missing in some of the original manuscripts that we use for translating the Greek to the English. Um, but this, this verse is also written in Luke 19. Look it up if you don't trust me. And I think it fits well with what's going on, so we're going to include it here. It says in verse 11, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. See, Jesus came on a mission From our heavenly father who cared for us so much that he sent his only son. Get your mind wrapped around the care of the father that would send his only son to seek and to save the lost. The care of the father resulted in the mission of the son to seek and to save the lost. This is why Jesus came. Jesus was the shepherd leaving the flock to find the one. This is what God is like. You've got to get a picture from this parable about what God is like. He's after us. He's after you. Whoever's mind or whoever's, I'm sorry, whoever's name came to your mind as we prayed earlier. He's after them. It's not too late. And why is he in pursuit? Why is he on mission? Because he cares for us. Do not despise the little ones. Jesus and the Father in heaven care for us. And how much, how much does he care for us? How much does he care for the one that's struggling or straying so much that he's willing to leave the 99? So here's the parable I promised. Verse 12 If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out to search for the one that is lost? Here's the question Jesus asks, will he not leave the 99? And the assumed answer is yes. There's no assumption that the 99 are left with some like supervisor to keep them safe. It's kind of wild. It's like the math isn't really adding up to me. But anyways, the entire emphasis is on the pursuit, the looking after the lost sheep, and notice that this is a sheep that wandered off that we're reading about in this story. So when I say lost, in this case, what I mean is this, is this is a disciple who's heard about Jesus. This is one of the three soils who's received the seed of the gospel message. This is a member of the church or, or someone who was a part of the church who had professed faith in Jesus. It's a prodigal, not a non-disciple that Jesus addresses here. And get this too, the, the sheep is not lost, the sheep has wondered. And, and though the danger of lostness is near, there's hope because the father is in pursuit. See, God, the father cares about the one. It's as if the 99 are just a bundle of humans. Not like all wrapped together, like a, like a, a combined bundle. But like, it's like God actually sees each individual human in the bundle. Do you get what I'm saying? 99 separate, precious, important little ones. He leaves them to go after the one. And I was just thinking about how off the math is here, right? Like, have you heard that other parable? Like, if you, if you aim at two birds, you'll miss them both, right? Someone help me with that one. I could not think of how it's actually said, right? But you got to, if you aim at two, like, you'll miss them both. You got to aim at one so you could actually hit one right? That's like human logic. No, Jesus, if you, if you leave the 99, you might lose the 99. Why would you sacrifice 99 for one? Anybody tracking with me? Like that math just does not add up. It, human math says you stay with the 99. That's what human math says. But as we learned before, uh, our father does not do math like we do math. And I'm so thankful. See, we've got to get the importance of statistics Out of the way see our way is think big our way would say stay with the 99 jesus but jesus way is think little blessed are the poor in spirit blessed are those who mourn do not despise the little ones jesus says in ezekiel uh, 34 there's a bit of a prophetic warning a prophetic challenge it says you have not brought back the strays or search for the lost. This is a charge against the leaders of Israel. And then in Proverbs 24, verse 11, it says, to rescue those being led away to death, to hold back those staggering toward slaughter. It would seem as if the attitude Jesus is teaching against in this passage is that we would be like Cain or that we would not be like Cain, who said in Genesis 4, am I my brother's keeper? Evidently, the way of the father is to pursue the one. So we don't wash our hands of the wayward; we pursue the wayward. This is the way of the father. And why? Why would we do this? Verse 14. Because it is not my heavenly father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. This is a picture of the love of God. I've spoken a lot about the warnings because there's a lot of warnings in the book of Matthew from Jesus. If we got carried away, we could get overly concerned with the warnings and think that, that the Heavenly Father was just some like cosmic cop out to bust us, to catch us doing wrong, and send us to hell. This is not the picture of our Heavenly Father that we see in this passage. It is not my Heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones Should perish. And some have used this verse to support the doctrine of universal salvation, meaning everyone goes to heaven. But this is clearly not what Jesus has been teaching. All through Matthew's gospel, we've heard time and time again, warning after warning. What happens? The death that comes, the destruction that comes when we reject Jesus and live a life of sin. Hear me on this. Humankind is not universally saved. Humankind is universally lost. We're not universally saved. It's not all good people go to heaven. We have a problem between us and God. The Bible teaches that we have a sin nature. It says in Romans 3, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Humankind is not universally saved, you guys. Humankind is universally Lost And our, our lostness matters. This is the main teaching of this text. Humankind apart from Christ is lost. Our lostness is the reason for his pursuit. He cares for us. Wants to prevent the destruction that's ahead if we stay away. Our lostness is the reason for his pursuit. See, the Christian prays for the salvation of all. We pray that all would be saved because Jesus paid the atonement for all at the cross. John 3.16, maybe you've heard it. That whosoever believes in him would not perish but receive the gift of eternal life. God cares about each little one. Every single stinking little one of us he cares about. We can get distracted as a church. I can get distracted as your pastor thinking bigger is better. And I do think that it's the heart of God to bring more in. I do think that it's the heart of God to see a huge harvest collected. But God in going big does not forget to go small. Each individual matters. Every soul counts. It's about the little one more than it's about the big gathering. The heart of God is for all to have salvation. Isn't this good news? This is incredible news. Our heavenly father, you gotta know this God. Our heavenly father is not a cosmic cop waiting to tell you mess up and bust you and send you to eternal damnation. It is the will of our heavenly father that all would be saved. And when we pray thy will be done, we're praying for his will of salvation to be done. Doesn't that inspire our pursuit of the lost? It's God's will. We're a, we're a family on mission with God. What's his mission? That all would be saved. It's pertinent here at Easter time. We're hoping to gather a big crowd on Easter Sunday.
1: Who are the lost among your
0: community, amongst your people, that we could bring in? Not to just have a big gathering for the sake of a big gathering. And I know we'll post on Instagram because we're happy about it. But why are we happy about it? Because of each of the individual ones that have an opportunity to be brought to salvation, the Father's heart is that all would be saved. Third point, this is my favorite point. My shortest point, he celebrates the found. God, our Father in heaven, celebrates the found. Verse 13, and if he finds it, I tell you the truth. I know enough to know that that phrase means what he's about to say is adamant. It's important. He will rejoice over it more than over the 99 that didn't wander away. He celebrates the found. It's simple but true. He rejoices more when the one he has found He rejoices more in the one he has found than over the 99 that he already had. I love this about God. He's not insecure. I'd be like this, you know, trying to hold on to the 99 as I went after the lost. This is a great picture of like our security in God. When he's got you, he's got you. And he's not worried about it anymore. Amen. Anyone walking through a dark time right now, struggling in a storm Not sure what you think. You can rest assured, once in him, always in him. He's got you. I'm so glad that his salvation is up to him. It's not up to me. It's up to him. So he's got his 99. He feels confident in pursuing the lost. And when he finds the lost, he's excited about it. It reminds me, I have a friend who's a physical therapist. And uh, he he would do like on the side search and rescue operations. So this was, like, outside of his, uh, ex- like, outside of his profession. He would, like, volunteer to go be a part of these search and rescue teams that go and find people who've, like, you know, I don't know, got lost in the woods or whatever. You know what I'm saying? And he, he told me, you know, quietly, I actually like the search and rescue thing better. Like, that's my jam. Because it's, like, a huge celebration when we find somebody who's lost. You see what I'm saying? This is the love of the Heavenly Father. He celebrates the found. He's secure in who he's already got. So he can go find the lost and celebrate. I love to celebrate. I love it. I love celebrating. Love, love, love yelling and screaming to celebrate. When I was in high school playing football, we had a really big game against the Sierra Chieftains. It was up in Toll House, us little boys from Dinuba went up to the cold weather and played the mighty chieftains. At that point, they were unbelievable year before they'd beat us like 59 to three. So they were the top dog, but we were like the up and comer and we beat those suckers. We beat them in overtime, man. And I'll never, uh, I'll never forget the celebration that ensued. And, And the next day we would come in and watch our, our game film on this old square box. They call a TV. And, uh, We kept watching over and over again, the celebration that the camera had caught at the end, you know, and we were laughing. We're like, look at you. You're at the bottom of the pile. And then at one point, you know, the fans started to rush the field because the game was over. I remember I can still see it. My mom running down onto the field celebrating the celebrations. These are the moments we live for. Jesus celebrates. He doesn't scold. He doesn't say, where were you? He celebrates the search and rescue operation luke 15 says it this way my son this is the prodigal son story luke 15 my son you are always with me he's talking to the older brother now right and everything i have is yours because the older brother didn't get god's love he didn't get the father's love what do you mean you're celebrating with him right that's what the older brother said the father says but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, he was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found, he, like, he ups it. Lostness is death, foundness is life. There's reason to celebrate. So this is who God is, he, he cares, he pursues and he celebrates. So, so what about us, what can we do? Forgive me if the application is already so obvious. Number one, we can pursue our lost. I believe that God's brought someone to your heart probably this morning. Some, maybe not all, but many of you are swimming with love for one who's now lost or currently lost. We can pursue our lost. Uh, His uh, mission, Luke 19.10, or in this passage, verse 11, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And again, loss isn't just those who have never heard. Loss to those who have heard and are walking away for whatever reason. So his mission was to seek and to save the lost. And guess what? He gave us a mission, didn't he? We call it the great commission. I say the verse almost every Sunday after we're done. Go therefore and make disciples. Our mission is the same as his mission. We can pursue the lost because he's pursued the lost. Motivated by care. Motivated by care. We too can be motivated by care. Willing to leave the secure. Not to despise the herd, but willing to go outside of it. Oh, that we would be a church. A, a circle. A community of people. Not looking on, only inward, like a country club, right? But a circle that faces out to those who are lost. And being willing to go outside our comfy little circle. Unwilling. Unwilling. Are you unwilling that any would perish? That's my question for you right now. Are you unwilling that any would perish? Am I unwilling that any would perish? We know God cares about bringing all to salvation. Do you care about bringing all to salvation? My dad's cousin, Cousin Wendell, we used to call him. He felt more like an uncle, but he was a cousin. So we called him Cousin Wendell. He spent his entire professional career as a plane mechanic. Nothing spiritual about that, is there? Except that he worked for Whitcliffe Bible Translators. Back in the day, I think missionaries used to take airplanes into these unreached people groups. And Whitcliffe was an organization that had committed to translating the Bible uh, into every language. They wanted to see that every language would have a Bible in their own language. My cousin Wendell's life was dedicated to fixing the planes. He cared about bringing all to salvation. Do you care about bringing all to salva- salvation? The second thing that we can do is that we can be found by a loving father. This is where we got to turn the, the scope around. We've maybe been looking away. Who are those out there? Who are those in my circle that are wandering away? But maybe you're the one that's wandering I got a feeling in a room this size, there's some of us who are in that state of wondering. Even now, we can be found by a loving father. We have to get a true, accurate picture of the biblical God. If you don't have that, you're screwed. Pardon my language. I don't know if that's appropriate or not. Sorry. A.W. Tozer in the book, The Knowledge of the Holy says, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. How do you see God? Is he a cosmic cop? waiting to bust you when you step out of line or see the father of the prodigal son rejoicing when his sons come home? How do you see God? You can be found by a loving father. He's not a cosmic cop. The God you see is the Christian you'll be. Our father in heaven is loving. He cares for each one of his little ones for God so loved the world that he gave his only son That whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We've all memorized it if we grew up in the church. If you haven't memorized that, God bless you. I'm so glad you're here. God's after you. (laughs) He's after you. For God so loved the world. This is the why. Football coach once told me that your why should make you cry. For God so loved the world. This is why he gave his one and only son. This is why he's willing to leave the 99 to pursue the one that's lost. The father had a lost sheep, so he sent a son. On a mission, he could have reveled in the security of the herd. Jesus could have. But instead, he came on a mission to seek and to save that which was lost. For some of us today, this ain't a story about them. This is a story about me. Some of us this morning are pretty aware of our own lostness. I know that in this gathering, there's got to be some who feel like they've strayed or maybe you're struggling. And look, let me, let me just normalize this wondering because it, it is what it is. And I think that sometimes we, we play the game of trying to, deny our struggling, to deny that we're straying. We end up dying on the vine. But listen, here's the thing. You're either right now a wandering sheep, or you were at some time a wandering sheep, or you will be at some time to come a wandering sheep. We we are all, we've all been in this spot where we're wandering. I I can think of a time growing up uh, in the church, got away to college, And I thought to myself, like one of the most, one of the strongest motivators in my life was like, don't screw it up for your parents. Not because I was ever told that, but that was just like the good little boy in me just was like, hold it together so you don't make your parents look bad. So when I got away to college, I like had this inner thought that was telling me, you could be anyone you want to be right now. And mom and dad would probably never find out. I remember my first weekend away in college, I like had this commentary running through my head and there was a part of me that was like looking for trouble, if you know what I mean. But God seeks the lost. And in my case, he sent me uh, this guy named Jedediah, this dorky musician. No offense. Sorry, bring the musicians. Bring the musicians. That guy... That guy was the father's love in pursuit of me. This guy loved the Lord. He'd he'd had his struggles, wasn't a perfect human being, but he loved the Lord and he just adopted me as his friend. The love of the father came to me in a moment where I could have been strained, right? Where my heart was strained, to be honest. I'm trying to normalize lostness. Do you get what I'm saying? We've all been in those spots, tempted to wander away, struggling. Do I really believe this? What do I really believe? This just happened. I'm not sure if I can believe anymore. God pursues. The third thing that we can do is we can celebrate. We can celebrate. 2 Samuel 6, uh, there's this story. David, I'm like, there's a lot of history that could be told. I'm not going to tell it all. David, King David He's he's been commissioned to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, okay? And he does it. He gets the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And he's stoked about it. And he's celebrating, dancing, it says in this passage. Evidently, he's a little too undignified in his dancing. So uh, this was uh, Saul's daughter, Michael, comes to him. And uh, she's like, hey, your dancing is too, like, undignified. That's not how a king should dance. His response is beautiful. I love his response. He's like, I will celebrate before the Lord. Matter of fact, I will become even more undignified than this. And I'll be humiliated in my own eyes as I celebrate what God has done. We need to become even more undignified than this. Let's take it up a notch. Last week, uh, we did one of my favorite things together, which is uh, we baptized some believers who were ready to profess their faith publicly. And, uh, you know, I mean, th- we, we yell and scream after baptisms, right? And I, I try to get you to yell and scream even louder, right? Because we're, we, we're excited about it. And I want us to be like David. Oh, you think this is crazy? We'll get even more crazy. You haven't seen anything yet because the lost are now found. The prodigal has come home. There's reason to celebrate. I'll become even more undignified than this. You got to see what I see as I stood back here, baptized Joshua Deaver. He comes up out of the water. My eyes make contact with his brother Jared. Jared's like, "Yeah!" It put me up. I'm like, "Yeah!" Peaky Blinders hat. Jared was awesome. He was stoked. No older brother in Jared that morning. He was celebrating his bro, man. From death to life, this is reason to celebrate. Can we please be a church that celebrates? Can we please be a church that celebrates? This is who I want to be. Uh, and I'll say, I mean, I may even, I think you guys like to celebrate, so I don't even probably have to say this, but like my high school basketball coach said, if I got to drag you kicking and screaming through the door of success, if I got to drag you kicking and screaming into celebration, gosh darn it, we're going to do it. When I was coaching at CVC, the culture is very stoic. They're, God bless them, very steady people, which the world needs steady people. But our teams did not get excited. So one day at practice, We started, we were like, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna spend 10 minutes. We're gonna pretend that we just scored and then everyone's gonna celebrate. We needed practice celebrating and some of us need practice celebrating. David said, you think this is crazy? I'll get even more undignified than this. This is cause for celebration when the lost are found, when the prodigals come home. We ain't gonna pout during the father's party. We're gonna celebrate. So this morning, uh, I, I said I don't wanna walk out that door the same as we walked in. So I just have two like invitations to you this morning. The first is this, I'm, I'm gonna ask even like right now, if, you, if you're if you like, there's a lost sheep near you, near and dear to you, if you got someone in your life that you know is a lost sheep, um, I, want you, I wanna ask you just to raise your hand, right where you're at, just raise your hand, okay? If you're around someone with their hand up, uh, can you turn around and uh, lay hands on them? We're going to pray together right here. We're going to do business with God. I'm going to pray with my voice, but you're welcome to pray quietly. So if, if, again, keep your hands up. Let's go. Don't be bashful. I know that Satan would want nothing more for you to just sit in your seat and not do anything this morning. Satan would want nothing more but for that lostness to stay. We say no. It's the Father's will that all would be saved. So that's what we're praying into this morning. So don't get bashful. We're going after it this morning. Let's do it. We can do it together. We can do it together. I'm going to pray with my voice, but, but those that are near, would you just pray in your heart that their lost one would be found? Father God, we know that your heart is to see the lost come home, Lord. We've seen it. You, you'll leave the 99 to pursue the one. And I'm asking my brothers and sisters, for my family right here, Lord, that it be so in their lives. Even right now, you could say the name. You don't have to say it out loud. If you don't want to, you could say it in your heart. Lord, these are the people that we're praying for, these names that my brothers and sisters are bringing before you right now. We're asking God that you would find these lost ones, that you'd bring them back in, Lord. We pray that they would know the heart of a father who's, who does not will for anyone to perish that they would know the heart of a father who's ready to receive them, forgive them, to cleanse them, and to party. Thank you, God, that this is your will to bring the lost. Amen. You know, this morning we're going to stand and we're going to sing. We're going to come forward, receive the Lord's Supper, but uh, my invitation has yet another dynamic. Um, I'm going to, I asked Megan to come up here as well. And again, like, I don't want to walk in the door the same as we walk out. So if this morning you're like, no, no, like I'm the lost one. If that's you this morning, you're like, I- I've, I'm strained. I'm struggling. I need to be found. I want to pray for you. So uh, I'd love to do that. Uh, it's not a walk of shame to come forward and receive prayer. Megan, you could be over here. I'll, I'll be over here if we have too many then I don't know somebody else come up and start praying we can all talk to to God but let's if, if you're like and and don't rationalize it like well you know I'm not that lost you know I'm just like uh, I'm just kind of going through a hard time just come receive come receive ministry this morning what's to lose the father's heart is that none would perish so don't overthink it remember the father's heart so Jake, come on up. Let's—we're uh, gonna stand and sing while all this is going on. There'll be lots of other people walking up to receive the Lord's Supper. Um, but again, I just—I invite you to come and pray. Even if you're like, even if it's like, I'll just open invitation. Even if you're, Noel, would you help me pray for my son or for my brother or my uncle or whoever it is? We'll—we'll we'll pray for anybody this morning.